Sunday morning and I'm talk I'm still talking about Christmas because Christmas was the gods of the ancient world that Israel became involved in. And Christmas is the very reason that Israel was scattered all over the earth. You say, well, I don't remember reading about Christmas in the Old Testament. It was under another name called Baal and the Grove Worship. It was fire and tree worship. And because Israel went for, for 500 years under kings, and they were going after Baal, which was the same thing as Hercules, whose birthday was December the 25th, because they kept going after this, God scattered them all over the earth, and then he blinded their eyes, and then he's given the last 2,000 years to the Gentile church or to spiritual Israel to believe God. Now, I've, I've kind of drawn a little uh, picture of what Christmas was actually about. I've shown you this before, but I have thought on this and thought on it, trying to help explain this the best I can to you. Christmas has to do with the winter solstice, and I want to put this on the board the way I've drawn it, so this might help you. Uh, we have the summer solstice, which is June the 21st. That's the longest days of the year. And, and then the sun begins to wane very slowly. And I always try to put that in the form of this, this uh, like this is the sun. And it's just like it's getting dimmer and dimmer as you get down to December the 21st, the longest nights of the year. The pagans believed the sun was burning out or it was moving away from the earth. So they had a festival during that time period there right before the 21st. It was to appease the father of the sun in Rome, and that was Saturn. They called that the Feast of Saturn or the Saturnalia. So you get down to December the 21st, and they said, well, we need, they had a festival 17th through 21st of December, a seven-day festival honoring the sun god, and that's what Constantine brought into the church and renamed the Christ Mass. Now, I'm trying to help you to see this thing. I'm trying to make it more and more clear. Well, the sun gets dimmer and dimmer, and I'm trying to make it look dimmer by making smaller suns. That's just the dimming of the sun. This has to do, this has to do with, you've got the equinox, and that equinox means equal night. E-Q-U-I-N-O-X means equal night. That's when you have 12 hours in the day and 12 hours in the night. Then the sun begins to brighten, and this has to do with the earth on its axis. Let me put it up here like this. has to do with the earth 
is going around the sun and when it gets over here this if this is the depth of winter and the earth and the earth gets over here huh all right now I'll do this over all right all right and this is the earth going around the sun it's going around and over here when you get if this is winter going into winter the earth is leaning away from the sun and the top part is the northern hemisphere and that's where all of these sun gods were imagined in Babylon that's where they started all of it well the northern you're in the depths of winter here and you stay in winter until you come out of it and you go into the spring once more this was the hard part going through the dark times and this is where they had the feast of Saturn that was one of their gods and then you would go into before that you would have the uh, end of the harvest end of harvest and that would be at the end of October October 31st so they called that they called that they had pagan names but that's what the Catholics brought in the Catholic Church and called All Hallows Eve later on Halloween and then you got down to into January and February and they had this the feast of what they called Valentine's and this was where it was a time where the it's talking about the birth of Rome where they took two wolves and they lived with this person and they made that Halloween and then it'll take you into February a Mardi Gras and that was a seven-day festival seven days Mardi Gras means fat Tuesday where they parted for seven days and they had a king of the Mardi Gras just like they had a king of the festival of Saturn a king and they would kill that king at the end of Mardi Gras and at the end of the feast of Saturn they were the same thing and then you move on and you get on towards Ishtar and Easter was a goddess in the ancient world it was called Ishtar or Ashtart A-S-H-A-S-H-T-A-R-T-E Ashtart A-S-H and Ashtart was the same as Ashtaroth A-S-H T-O-R-E-T-H Ashtaroth and that was the, the word Aster A-S-T-E-R is the word star in the Greek 
So it was about star worship, which was Jupiter and Venus and so forth. And this was the time period of darkness where they worshiped their gods. So when God extends the gospel to the Gentiles, this was the time of the worship their gods. Well, when you get up here to spring, this is where the crops come in. The crops. Sun is predominant. You get up into June, and you got the summer solstice, and you have crops. Well, that was the promise of God. If you'll beat it to me, then you'll have you'll have all the crops in the spring you need. You'll have uh, your storehouses will be full, and your children will be healthy. But if you disobey me, I'll take all that away from you. I'll make your I'll bring famine upon you during the crop season. So when this is connected to Deuteronomy 28, where he's promising the crops. Well, when, when you're looking at this over here, the dark season was from equinox to equinox. This is the dark, or dark, when they're worshiping those gods. That's why Paul would say to the Ephesians, which were Gentiles, you were darkness, but now you light in the Lord. The light is when, is when you come to, the light is when you come to the equinox, the summer, the spring equinox, when the light begins to overtake the dark. Well, this right here would be the dark. Right here. That would be the dark season. That's why Paul would say to the Ephesians, You are darkness, but now you light in the Lord. This was their season here, where they worshipped Ishtar, where they worshipped Saturn, where they had, had the end of the harvest, they worshipped all of these gods at this dark season. He said, you were darkness, but now you're light. When you read all of Paul's writings on to the, to the, uh, uh, to the Gentile churches, this would have been the Gentiles' time. This was supposed to be the Jews' time right here, where that they would have crops, because they were being obedient to God. This was all about food. Even the pagans said they were worshiping those gods so they'd have crops. And God says, they're not the fertility gods. I am the fertility God. And you'll have healthy kids. You'll go against your enemy one way, and they'll flee seven ways. I hope this, I have tried to explain this and felt like I was doing an inadequate job. I just got to thinking last night, I need to draw this out on a piece of paper and see if I can explain this better. This is the dark. This is the light. This is the season of crops. And that was the promise of God. He said that in Deuteronomy 28. 
Leviticus 26, Exodus 15, and he said it through all through the Old Testament. You'll have crops if you obey me. They didn't have frozen foods. They didn't have a Kroger or a Publix or any of these supermarkets. They had to depend on God if they were obedient to him. He said, if you're disobedient, I'll bring famine upon you. And I believe America is looking towards the famine because they're not obeying God. Now, we've been talking about Christmas. Christmas is the gods that they went after. Let me give you something. I had a guy write to me and he said, he said, Bell in the Grove was destroyed by Jehu and there was no more Bell in the Grove. Well, let me tell, let you in on a secret. Long before Israel, the sun god and the tree goddess started in Genesis 11 and 4. That's where the sun and tree worship started. When Babel was founded, Babel was founded. The Bible said in Revelation 17 and 5, Revelation 17 and 5, that Babylon was the mother of harlots. That means all of the harlots in the world. It's not talking about literal harlotry. God called Israel going after these gods harlotry. Harlot is the word porne, and it means idolatry. It means to serve what you see. Idolatry is ido, lo, la, tria. That's the word in the Greek. And it is a, it comes from ido, meaning to see or perceive. See, perceive. And the word latruo. Latruo means to serve. What this means is to you will serve what you put into your eyes and your ears. If you put that car in your eyes and ears, or you put that house, or you put that diamond ring, or you put whatever you put in your eyes and your ears. The Bible says, Ecclesiastes 1 and 8, the, all things are full of labor. The eyes not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The mouth will not simply utter it. You will labor to fulfill what goes into your eyes and your ears. And that's the truth. And we do that, don't we? That's why America is a, is a center for idolatry. They're putting everything on billboards, on the TV, uh, in the magazines. What we want, what appeals to us. And we, have no rea we don't live in reality in this land. Now, I'm talking about how this came into Israel. I want to show you how how this system came into America. It didn't come by the way of Israel. Israel started after. She started after this idolatry of sun and tree worship through a man named Ahab. 
and he had a wicked wife, the most wicked woman in the world in the Bible was his wife named Jezebel. Not because she wore a lot of makeup, that's not why. It's because she brought sun and tree worship, Ahab and Jezebel. Now Ahab made, made Baal, which is the same thing as Hercules, Hercules, and all of these sun gods, their, every one of them's birthday was December the 25th. Because when they came to the winter solstice and they thought the sun was burning out on December the 21st, they said, we got to give the sun the birthday. So three days later, as the sun began to wax greater and get brighter, they said, we'll make December the 25th the birthday of the sun god. Whether people like that or not, you can go into the C, go into the M volume of McLennick and Strong and look up Mithra, the chief sun god of Rome. Mithra was considered that Mithraism, Mithraism was said to be the greatest competition to Christianity during the times of the Caesars because they were following Mithra. His birthday, it will tell you in the M volume, look up Mithra, it will say the most popular day in Rome was his birthday, December the 25th. That's where it come from. That's why Constantine gave December the 25th, the birthday of Christ. It was Pope Julius I that gave Christ's Mass its pagan name, Christmas or Christ's Mass. It is the Mass of Roman Catholicism. Now, we're talking about the person that brought this into Israel. The person that brought it in was Jezebel, her father, if this is the Mediterranean Sea, and this is Israel right here, right above Israel is Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, you mentioned one, you're mentioning both of them. That was the seat of all fire worship in that part of the world. The fire worship came out of Babylon. When you get down here to Babylon, Babylon was what we call Iraq, down here on the Euphrates River, right above the Persian Gulf, where we had that war. You got Babylon, it comes up here like so, and it splits off into two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and Babylon was on the Euphrates River, straddling the river. Now, Ahab was the king of northern Israel after God splits Israel because of Solomon's apostasy when he married 700 wives and 300 concubines. A concubine is a secondary wife. He had babies by all of these women, and he said, I had all the women in the world. 
I had a thousand women and they could not gratify my sexual desires. They were vanity and vexation of spirit. Vexation means to grab for the wind. That's what you're grabbing for when you're grabbing for this world. You never are satisfied. The Bible says that over and over again. Well, when Ahab had his palace up here in Jezreel, Jezreel was right close to the border of what we call Lebanon or Tyre and Sidon. That was also called Phoenicia. If you wonder where Phoenicia is, that's Lebanon. That's Tyre and Sidon. Well, Ahab had a palace up here. Somehow he meets Jezebel one night. Her father was Ethbaal. And people will call me crazy for putting this on the board. This is all history. You can get that out of these encyclopedias like McClinic and Strong. You can get it out of Hastings. And you can get it out of the Bible if you know anything about the Bible. Now, all right. Ethbaal was a priest of Babylon. There were two places in the Bible that you had seats of fire worship. One was in Tyre and Sidon. The mother of it all was in Babylon. Now, Babylon is overthrown by Persia. It looks like Persia is not involved in sun and tree worship. But Persia later on is overthrown by Greece. And this is the beast overthrown by Greece. And Greece gets back to sun and tree worship. What, what Ahab did, he brought this into northern Israel. There was a savior... For Israel, God says, this woman, I want her dead, and I want Ahab dead. But God killed Ahab when he had him going to battle against Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Syria, which is right over here, right northeast of Tyre and Sidon. He had Ahab going to battle against him. And when he went to battle against him, he got Jehoshaphat to go with him. And God had a certain man draw a bow at a venture, pull it back, and it hit Ahab between the harness and killed him. And it fulfilled God's word about the dogs coming and licking. Uh, this was Elijah's prophecy to Ahab. said, the dogs are going to lick your blood because you've been a murderer you murdered Naboth your wife murdered Naboth and he was a righteous man of God in that 21st chapter of 1st Kings and he said because you killed Naboth you're going to die and Ahab polluted Israel with this sun and tree worship but Jezebel was the cause of it all she's the one that schemed to have Naboth killed. She's the one that brought her son gods in. And between the two of them, they had a daughter. They had some sons, but the wickedest thing they had was a daughter. 
I call her the daughter out of hell itself. Daughter from hell, her name was Athaliah. And Athaliah was the way. Now what Ahab did, he got all of this into northern Israel. But it didn't come into southern Judah. Southern Judah was a separate, it was southern Israel, split because of Solomon's apostasy. So southern Judah wasn't corrupted with it. And then God sends a man along to destroy all the sun and tree worship, Baal and the grove. Grove was the tree goddess. And God sends a man along. His name is Jehu. And Jehu is made king of northern Israel. And God says, I want you to kill this Jezebel. That'll be your job. I killed Ahab in battle. Now I want you to get rid of him. And then Athaliah is going to marry down into southern Judah. She's going to meet Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram. And she marries into southern Judah. And what she does, she brings her mother's gods with her. And she does one of the most unspeakable acts of anybody in the Bible. She said, I want this southern kingdom for myself. And she's the only woman in the lineage of the kings of southern Judah. This is southern Judah. Out of Judah would come the king. Out of northern Israel would come the inheritance through Joseph. This would be Joseph's inheritance through his son Ephraim. Well, Athaliah says, I will, when her husband Jehoram dies, and then her son, who takes Jehoram's place, Ahaziah dies, and then she says, I want this kingdom for myself. So she has all of the seed royal. That's a very important word. Seed royal means anyone who can inherit the throne of anyone who can inherit the throne through being a descendant of Jehoram or Hezai. I'm killing them all. This is going to be my kingdom. And she gets them all except one. Joash. Now Joash ends up being a, a good king to start with. As long as Jehoiada, the high priest, is alive because it was Jehoiada that took him and hid him in the temple of God hit him in the temple and one thing about it how could hiding him in the temple save his life well one thing Athaliah is not going to do go anywhere near the temple of God so that's where he was hidden by the high priest now I want us to look at their story go over here to Second Kings we're going to look at some of their Second Kings I want to look at the death of Jezebel. Jehu is, he is like Superman. I thought this guy is the greatest hero that's ever lived when I first read about him. 
back in my early 20s. I thought, boy, what a magnificent specimen of a hero. I want to watch how he goes after Jezebel. God tells him, I want you. This is in 2 Kings, the ninth chapter. Whenever I studied all of these kings for years, I woke up one day and began to realize who the gods were that they served. I looked them up and I found out that they were serving the the gods of the Grecian uh, gods of their temples, the Roman gods, Jupiter and Venus and and Aphrodite and all of these gods and goddesses. I began to realize that Christmas was the same thing. Now, I want us to look here in Second Kings 9, 9. This is where Jehu is coming on the scene. And he's going to fix Jezebel. All right. Second Kings 9. And verse 20. Well, Jehu takes off towards Jezreel. And he's going to go up there. And and Jezebel is, is on a balcony in northern Israel looking out for Jehu. She doesn't know who it is. She says... Who is that coming in a chariot? He driveth furiously. So she sends some horsemen out. And then she sends his horsemen out and they get close to Jehu. And the, we've already discovered that chariots were called whirlwinds because they would stir up so much dust as they're going. And the horsemen would get close to Jehu and they'd say, Jehu, is it peace? He said, don't talk to me about peace while that woman is still alive. You better get in behind me because she's going to die this day. Let's read about that here. Now, look down here in verse 20. And the watchman told, saying, come even unto them and cometh not again. And the driving of this man is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi. For he driveth furiously. He's going after Jezebel. And Jehoram said, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah went out and each in a chariot and they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of Naboth the Jezreelite right up there on the border of what we call Lebanon. And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu he said, Is it peace, Jehu? Are you coming in peace? And he answered, What peace so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. There won't be many peace till she's dead. And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. This is the kings of southern Judah and northern Israel. But God has privately had Jehu pronounced king. This king is not the king anymore.
And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength and smote Jehoram between his arms and the arrow went out at his heart and he sunk down in his chariot. Then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain, take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that Jezebel had murdered. He was a righteous man. When I then rode together after Ahab his father, and the Lord laid this burden upon him, surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord, and I will require thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Now take therefore and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of God. And when Ahaziah the king of Judah saw this, northern Israel king is dead. And Ahaziah, the king of southern Judah, you can see him on this chart. Here he is, right here. Right here. That's the, that's the son of Athaliah, Ahaziah. Now, what verse am I in? All right. And, Je and Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up to Gur, which is by Idlim. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. So both the king of northern Israel and southern Judah are dead. One is the daughter of, one is the son of Ahab. And the other is the son of his daughter, Athaliah. And his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his sepulcher with his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, this, when you see Joram, that is a contraction for Jehoram. J-E-H-O-R-A-M. It's the same thing. Ahab began... The son of Ahab began Ahaziah to reign over Judah. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. Now, because she painted her face is not why she was Jezebel. She was an evil murderer, a murderess. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, had Zimri peace, who slew his master? Zimri was her great-grandfather. And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? This is Jehu shouting out. Who is on my side? Who is on God's side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs, and there upon the balcony with Jezebel. And Jehu said, Throw her down from the balcony. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. This is the death of the evil, wicked woman Jezebel. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink, and said, Go now, this cursed woman... Boy, you wouldn't want to have that said about you. This cursed woman, bear her, 
for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull, the feet, and the palms of her hand. The dogs did not want a head that would think such evil thoughts, feet that would run to such swiftness to do evil, and hands that would form the evil that she formed. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall the dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. That's in First Kings twenty-one, nineteen through 23, where God says, I will have the dogs lick your blood Ahab and the dogs will eat Jezebel except they don't want her head nor hands nor feet she's such wickedness and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel all she's going to be good for is dung so that they shall not say, this is Jezebel. I want no semblance of her left. That's how wicked she was. And Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. And this is where God tells Jehu, I want you to go kill the 70 sons of Ahab. So he has some men go. They cut their heads off, put them in baskets, 70 sons, and bring them to Jehu. And this was pleasing to God because he did not want any of Ahab's sons coming up and making claim to any throne. God is going to, he's wiping out Ahab, Jezebel. But there's one thing left he needs to destroy. That is their wicked daughter who takes all this down into southern Judah and she takes her, her gods. Now I want to look at something over here in Second Chronicles 22. Second Chronicles 22. All right. Now Jehoshaphat is the good king of southern Judah. He's got one major problem. He runs around with Ahab. Ahab comes down. Je Jehoshaphat is a wonderful man of God. He has the word of God read throughout all of Israel. I'm really impressed with Jehoshaphat as a godly man, except the fact that he will listen to Ahab. Boy, oh, I've done that. I've listened to men when I was young. They were heathens, and I said, if I hang around them, I can win them over. You're not supposed to hang them around them. You withdraw from every brother. Every brother that walks disorderly, you don't walk around with heathens that would walk disorderly. You withdraw from them. So, I want us to look here at Athaliah. I want us to go over here. She marries. Look here in Chapter 21, let's read a little bit of this. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers. This is the death of Jehoshaphat, wonderful man of God, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, 
reigned in his stead. Jehoram is going to reign in the place of Jehoshaphat. Jehoram doesn't have any principle. He's not the godly man his father was. Let's read on here. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, naturally, because he was the son of Jehoshaphat. Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, Shephatiah, and all these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Only one gets to inherit the throne, and that's Jehoram. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and of precious things from the fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was his firstborn. Now when Jehoram was risen up and the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren, killed all those brothers that had just got through naming. Why? They were afraid their brother would try to take over the kingdom. So he has them killed. He murdered them all. With the sword and divers also of the princes of Israel. Divers means diverse. Any princes of Israel that look like they can rise up and take the kingdom from him, he kills them, kills his own brothers. You say, boy, they were bloodthirsty back then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When it comes to a kingdom, they'll kill anybody to preserve their rights. Jehoram was 30 and two years old when he began to reign. And he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel like as did the house of Ahab. And he had the daughter of Ahab to wife. Poor, underline that with triple uh, red lines. He had the daughter of Ahab, Athaliah. He married Athaliah. That's the king of southern Judah, Jehoram, after Jehoshaphat dies. And he had the daughter of Ahab, Athaliah, to wife. And he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I want us to go over and look at Athaliah. Go over here to 2 Kings. Go back to 2 Kings. The 10th chapter. We're looking. You say, what's the difference between Kings and Chronicles? 1 and 2. 1 and 2 Kings. These are the kings of Israel from the king's viewpoint. King's viewpoint. First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles is the history of the kings of Israel from the high priest viewpoint, and that's they actually have a lot of the same stories with a different catch on it. You'll I can't explain all of the different differences here right now. But go over here to Second Kings. And this is where go to the eleventh chapter, Second Kings. 
This is where Athaliah comes on the scene, just as wicked as she can be. All right. Athaliah, here she is. Let's read about her. This is, if there's anybody in hell, I'm glad it's Athaliah. You say, do you want her to go to hell? If God wants her there, that's where I want her. I'm pleased with it. And with Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, here's Athaliah. She's the mother of Ahaziah. And Ahaziah is dead. And the mother of Ahaziah saw that her son was dead. Ahaziah is dead. Some call it Ahaziah, however you want to pronounce it. She arose and destroyed all the seed royal. Anyone could inherit the throne because if they mount an army, they'll try to overthrow the one that's in there. So he has all his brothers killed. Anybody else who could inherit the throne, legally, he has them killed. And, and she has them killed, and she thinks she's home safe. And, Je, Je, and Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, or Jehoram, sister of Ahaziah. This is the dead king's sister took Joash, the next king in line. She says, I'll have everybody killed in Israel that can inherit the throne. And there's one that she misses. That's Joash. It looks like Joash is going to be a righteous guy, but he's not. He only does that for the sake of the high priest until the high priest is dead. Then he gets crazy. But Joash was the seed that preserved Israel's proper seed from the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah in that 49th chapter of Genesis, nor a lawgiver between his feet until shallow come. The scepter will always be with Judah. That's why one had to be preserved. The king has to come down to Judah. When you take Judah all the way down, you go to the first chapter of Matthew, and Jesus comes out of this lineage. So some of those kings weren't really good, but it shows you the grace of God when God would save someone like Rahab the harlot, or save a, he would call uh, Ruth the Moabite to him in the Old Testament the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons, which were slain. This was the sister of Ahaziah the king. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. He was the salvage. He was the savior of Israel's kingly lineage. They had to have somebody out of the tribe of Judah. He was the only one left. That shows you the sovereignty of God here. And he was with her hid in a house of the Lord six years. And Athaliah did reign 
over the land. She was the king. She wasn't a queen. She was the king. She said, I want this land for myself. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over guards with the captains and the guard and brought them to him, to Joash, and into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them. Now he's telling the rulers of Israel, this would be the princes, people in charge, and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. You're going to have to protect him even to death. You cannot let anything happen to him. He's the only seed left. And he commanded them, saying, This is the thing that ye shall do. A third part of you that enter in on the Sabbath shall even be keepers of the watch of the king's house. You've got to watch, make sure, Athaliah and her henchmen don't get in to kill him. And a third part shall be at the gate of Sur, and a third part at the gate behind the guard. So shall ye keep the watch of the house, that it be not broken down. And two parts of you that go forth on the Sabbath, even they shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord about the king. Watch out that nothing happens to him. And ye shall compass the king round about every man with his weapons in his hand. He that cometh within the ranges, let him be killed. Anybody gets close to him, kill him. This is very serious stuff here. And be ye with the king as he goeth out, and as he cometh in, let nobody get close to him. And the captains over the hundreds did according to the things that Jehoiada the high priest commanded, and they took every man his men that came in on the Sabbath and then that should go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest and to the captains of the hundreds did the priest give King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord what's keeping Athaliah away from him he's they're keeping him in the temple she has got her mother's and father's Ahab and Jezebel's he had set up worship for Baal in the grove in Israel. And the guard stood every man with his weapons in his hand round about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple along by the altar in the temple. And he brought forth the king's son and put a crown upon him. Jehoiada brings out Joash. Now this is while the evil woman is over here thinking that she's the king of Israel and gave him the testimony and they made him king and anointed him and clapped their hands and said God save King Joash. They're shouting it. Nathaliah hears this. Boy. She don't like that. And she says the stupidest thing that's been said in the Bible.
When Athaliah heard the noise of the garden of the people and the temple of the Lord, when they looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manner was, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew trumpets. And Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Here's a woman that murdered all of the, all of the seed royal, and she's screaming, Treason! What a stupid woman. You gotta have rocks in your head to be crying treason when you're the murderer and your parents are the murderers and you're the reason that all this idolatry came into Israel and they knew all about that. And Jehoiada priest commanded the captains of the hundreds and officers of the host and said unto them, Have her forth without the ranges and him that followeth her kill with the sword for the priest had said let her not be slain in the house of the Lord get her out of the house of the Lord and kill her and they laid hands on her and she went by the way of which the horses came into the king's house and there Athaliah was slain wicked godless woman I want you to go over here and look at Second Chronicles, twenty-third chapter, and look at their account. Second Chronicles twenty-three. Twenty-three. All right. Second Chronicles twenty-three. And look here in verse. 13. Speaking, we'll look in verse 12. And when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people into the house of the Lord. And she looked, and behold, the king, and stood at his pillar at the entering in, and the princes and the trumpets by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced because they're making Jehoram king, the rightful king. And sounded with trumpets, and the singers with trumpets and music, and such, he taught to sing praise. And then Athaliah rent her clothes, ripped her clothes, tore them, and cried, Treason! Treason! Now, most people will say, a lot of people say that Jehu destroyed Baal and Grove worship in Israel. No, he destroyed Baal and Grove worship in northern Israel. It's all he did, all they did was kill Athaliah in southern Judah. But they didn't get rid of all semblances of Baal and Grove. And we can see that in the next chapter. In chapter 24. Joash. He's the surviving king of the line of Judah. Now, look here at verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, 
and her mother's name also was Zibia of Beersheba. And it's amazing, you see Joash wanting to do right in the sight of the Lord until the high priest is dead. He's taking care of everything, and particularly the high priest, because he has he's honoring him. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the high priest, because he's the one that hid him away from Athaliah. So he's going to honor him. But later on, in this same chapter, notice what Joash does. In verse 15, Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. It was Jehoiada that hid him. So once Jehoiada is dead, he says, I can do what I want to now. And 130 years old was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel both toward God and toward his house, especially when he hid Joash from that evil woman, Athaliah. And after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and they made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them and they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. He changes direction as soon as the high priest is dead. Evidently he was keeping the ways of God just to honor the high priest, Jehoiada. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespass. I can't quite get a hold of all these guys. They were... Joash was the righteous... He was supposed to be the righteous king of God. Look down here in verse 22. Joash the king remembered not the kindness of Jehoiada. His father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord, Lord look upon it and require it. And it came to pass at the end of the year that the hosts of Assyria, or the army of Assyria, of Syria, came up against him. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people and from the people and sent all the spoil of them unto the king of Damascus. This is Joash's reward. God turns them over to the king of Syria and has him kill these people. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men and the Lord delivered the great host into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers so they executed judgment against Joash how can these guys think this way God delivered you with Jehoiada he dies you go after idols again and God has you killed you would think these guys would learn to understand wouldn't you but they don't I want to show you something that most people have no idea what it's talking about. I want you to go to Revelation, the second chapter. 
people want to know if before there was before Israel became a nation there was Babylon and the fire worship began in Babylon America got their Christmas or their Christ Mass not through not from Israel we didn't Jehu killed off Baal and Grove worship in northern Israel but he didn't kill it off in southern Judah there was one other chapter I want to show you over here in Second Kings in Second Kings in Second Kings this is where when uh, when Jehu comes on the scene and he's going to pretend to to be uh, wait a minute here I'm in the wrong chapter over here in in the 10th chapter of 2 Kings I want you to look at this this is where Jehu kills the sons of Ahab 70 of them and God says I want Ahab's king of northern Israel not southern Judah and this is where Jehu gets rid of he gets rid of all the priests of Baal in, in northern Israel Jehu's been appointed king this is even before he kills the two kings Jehoram and Ahaziah now and he brings he says I want these heads of these sons of Ahab in a basket he says that in verse 7 and it came to pass when the letter came to them this is the men of northern Israel they took the king's sons and slew 70 persons and put their heads in a basket and sent them to Jezreel in the charge of Jehu now I want to go on down here and look at verse 12 and he arose and departed and came to Samaria and he was at the shearing house in the way and Jehu met with the brethren of Ahaziah king of Judah and said who are they? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah, and we go down to salute the children of the king and the queen of, and the children of the queen. And he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house, even two and forty men. Neither left, any, left he any of them. And when he was departed thence, this is Jehu, he lighted on... Jehonadab the son of Rechab coming to meet him and he saluted him and said to him is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart and Jonadab answered it is if it be give me thine hand and give him and he gave him his hand and he took up to him into his chariot this is Jehu 
And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they make him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed him, according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. And Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Now he's going to lie to them. Watch what he says. Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. He's lying to the people. He wants to get all the priests of Baal into one house, one spot. Now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal and all of his servants and all of his priests. Let none be wanting, let none be left out. For I have great sacrifice to do to Baal. Jehu's not going to serve Baal. He's just telling him he is. Whoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. But Jehu did it in subtility. He's lying to them. To the intent that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. And they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent through all of Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there were not a man left that came not. All the worshipers of Baal are come to the house of God. And they, actually the house of Baal. And they came into the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was full from one end to another. Jehu says, are they all here? And he said unto him, that was over the vesture, bring forth vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. And he brought them forth vestments. And Jehu really is pulling a trick on all these worshipers of Baal. And he and Jehu sent to all of Israel, all the worshipers of Baal, and verse 22, And he said unto them, that was over the vestry, Bring forth vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. And they brought them forth vestments. He's going to dress them up in their regalia and their Baal outfits. And Jehu went, and Jonadab, the son of Rechab, unto the house of Baal, and said unto the worshipers of Baal, Search and look that there be here with you none of the servants of the Lord. I don't want any of the servants of the Lord mixing in this crowd. Because I'm fixing to kill everybody here. But the worshipers of Baal only, that's all I want in here. He's got them believing he's going to great, do great sacrifice to Baal. And when they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings, Jehu appointed fourscore men without. He scores twenty-four scores, eighty men. And he said, If any of the men whom I brought into your hands escape, if you let them go, you're going to give your life. Now I want you to go in and kill every one of these worshippers of Baal. And it came to pass as soon as he did make an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and kill them all.
Let none come forth of the house. And they smote them with the edge of the sword, and the guard and the captains cast them out, and went to the city of the house of Baal, and they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal, and burned them. And they break down the image of Baal, and break down the house of Baal, and made it a draught in the house this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. He did it tricking them. Otherwise, some of them would have run for cover. So he's got Israel cleared out. All the sons of Ahab, all Jezebel, and Athaliah's dead. And there's a remnant that keeps on keeping on. And Joash, you think, is going to be a good man, but he goes back to the grove in Baal. How did this all come to America? Did it come by Israel, by America following Israel's example? No. I'll show you how it came. Go to the second chapter of Revelation. How much time do I have, Mike? Let's go over here. Maybe I can get this in. Go over here. Second chapter of Revelation. Some people think when they read this, there's a Jezebel at the at the Church of Pergamos. It's not talking about a new Jezebel. It's talking about the same old Jezebel. She's the one that corrupted the believers, and she's corrupting the church at at Pergamos. When this is a puzzle to me, uh, I have worked on this and studied on it. What puzzles me is how Cyrus. King of Persia, Darius, King of Persia, and Artaxerxes. It puzzles me how Cyrus could give a decree when Persia overthrows Babylon. Persia is the same thing as Iran, Pakistan, uh, all of the various stands. That's a part of Persia. And Babylon is Iraq. It's right here. Let's go over here. This Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, this was Persia. Iraq is Babylon, and the Euphrates River runs down through Iraq or ancient Babylon and meets the Tigris River about a hundred miles north of the Persian Gulf, where we had that war over there in the early 90s. Now, it amazes me how Darius, how that he loved Daniel. And how Artaxerxes loved Nehemiah. 
and how Cyrus, it was in God's, in Cyrus's heart to give a decree for Israel to go back and rebuild the temple. They, it seems like these guys are doing but nothing good. And Darius reaffirms that decree. And Artaxerxes gives a decree to supply the temple. And they're over here. These are kings of Persia. And they're living over here in Babylon. And how they're giving decrees to come back and rebuild the temple, which is about 650 miles away. And these are supposed to be pagan heathen kings. But it's showing such favoritism to these men, it makes you wonder if these guys were believers. Well, when Cyrus takes over, takes over Babylon, conquers Babylon, we know how that happened. They came north of Babylon. Babylon said, we can't be conquered because we got the Euphrates running around us and running through us. We got these nearly 400 foot walls and you can't get to us. Well, Cyrus went above Babylon, diverted the river with a dam out into the, out into the Arabian desert, marched down the riverbed, walked in on Belshazzar and said, you're under arrest, jump up on this man and kill him. But when they became the leaders of the world, they did something really unusual. They threw out all of this sun and tree worship, sun and tree, or the Chaldean worship. That's another name for Babylon and their worship. They threw the Chaldean worship out of Babylon. It found a home in Pergamos. Now, you can't understand Revelation, the second chapter, unless you know this from history. Well, the second and third chapter of Revelation is about the seven churches of Asia. And each one of them has a glitch or a sin. And it'll tell you what these sins are. When you get to Pergamos, this is the third church that's mentioned in Asia. Pergamos is up here, somewhere about where my finger is. It's in northern, northwestern Turkey. That's where it is. That's where we get Christmas from, from Pergamos. The king of Pergamum, the Pergamum Empire, was a man named Atalus. Atalus the third. He had he had good relations with Rome, and they loved this Chaldean magicianry, or they were called magi. When you see the word magic, it means the science. of the Magi. The science of the Magi. When you find the wise men 
coming to the house where the young child was, the wise men didn't get to the manger. When you find them coming, the wise men were called magos. It comes from the word magi. Well, when they when they came and they took over, they drove this out, and it found the seat in Pergamos. That's why this third church of Asia reads the way it reads. Let's read with me here in verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. That's the word of God coming from the mouth of Christ. And you find that in the first chapter. And I know thy works, Pergamos, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. They were driven out of Babylon, and they called them Etruscans when they got to Pergamos. Etruscans. And the Romans loved the magic of the Etruscans. So when Italus III died, he left by will and testament all of his system to Rome. What they did, they took an Olympic torch out of the temple of the serpent there, which was Osculopius, A. C-U-S-P-I-L-E-U-S. Osculopius was the serpent god there in Pergamos. He is the first place that we find that we find the sunburst behind the, se behind the heads of the serpent. Osculopius was the first place. And when he dies... He leaves all of this Etruscan to Rome. What they did, these were eternal fires. We know that when Israel had, when Israel had, he had Jerusalem down here, they had a place called Tophet, and they said these fires were kept burning in Tophet permanently. They were eternal fires, the eternal flame. So when they moved, when they moved this system, they took a man holding an Olympic torch, and I'm sure they came by probably up here across this border. Probably if there was a little uh, waterway, they went over some ship. They took the Olympic torch over to Rome took it into the temple of Mithra and kept the fires burning. And the people that kept these fires burning were called the Vestal Virgins. They were the predecessors to the nuns, the Vestal Virgins. The way this came to America we see that when President John Kennedy was shot,
they buried him at Arlington National Cemetery and if you go up there you will see the eternal flame burning at the foot of his grave. That comes out of Pergamos. It originated in Babylon. We didn't get our Christmas from Israel. We got it from Rome. Roman Catholicism. And you had the Roman Catholic Church was organized in three 325 A.D. That's when Roman Catholicism started. Everything was added to that through the years. The first thing that Constantine did Constantine was about to he felt like he was about to lose the empire. You can see this in the Barbarian series. You can see it in in many other series. The Tudors, the Tudor series that was on TV, the Barbarians. Constantine felt like he was going to lose the empire to let me see here. He thought he was going to lose the empire to all of the barbarians, they weren't under the rule of the Roman Empire. Rome, Rome, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome ruled the empire on the Mediterranean Sea. There's Rome, there's Greece, here's Babylon, here's Persia. They ruled these borders, but they didn't rule all up here. The, the Huns came from over in Mongolia area, and then you had the you had the Vandals, you had the Goths, the Visigoths, you had all of these pagan people that the Caesars for two hundred years felt like they would lose the empire to. So Constantine says, "I've got the best idea yet. I've got to bring their gods." into this corrupt church at Rome and I'll take the Feast of Saturn, a seven-day festival, and at the end of it, on December the 25th, the birthday of their gods, we'll give that all to Jesus and have him worshipped in the form of all of these gods. That is the customs of the heathen. God said, don't keep the customs of the heathen. They're vain. So what you've got we got we brought what came to America in the form of Roman Catholicism comes from Rome, from Pergamos, when the when the when the Persians outlawed that. And then the Roman Catholics bring that into the church when two of the emperors, Gratian and Numa said they would not wear the robes of the Pontifex Maximus. That means maximum high priest. When they said they wouldn't wear those robes, that was the title of the high priest of the Roman Empire when it was worshiping fire and tree. They said they wouldn't wear it. So what they did... They set up Christmas 
Christ Mass. And Christmas is nothing but what Israel went after in the Old Testament. It's sun and tree worship. But we got it from Rome. It moved over there legitimately from Pergamos. I got to finish reading this in the second chapter because I was going to tell you about Jezebel that was at Pergamos. Let's read this. Verse 13, I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. That was the transfer to Pergamos of the fire worship of Babylon when the Persian kings come in. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Why does Satan dwell there? It's Pergamos. Where Satan dwelleth, where Satan's seed is. But I have a few things against thee, Pergamos, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrines of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit fornication. So hast thou also them that, that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Some believe this was followers of Nicholas who was apostate. Which thing I hate, repent, and I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, hath an ear, let him hear is an imperative command. He that hath in here, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and the stone of a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And then he's, he goes on talking, and the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath who hath his eyes likened to a flame of fire and his feet as fine brass. I know your works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, Thyatira, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess. It's talking about the Jezebel of the Old Testament. She's the one that corrupted the churches by bringing this in. And to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things offered to idols. I gave her space to repent from the time that Elijah said, repent, God's going to kill you. She had 13 years after the death of Ahab to repent. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then that commit adultery with her. It's not talking about literal adultery. It's talking about the adultery of the pagan sun and tree worship. Into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Do I have any time, Mike?
five minutes. I wanted you to understand how this all came to America. It came from Rome. When they came over here, we outlawed Catholicism when the Puritans, before they came, they were families in Europe. They were the Albigans family, the Waldens family, the Cathars. Over hundreds of years, they believed predestination. They believed that they weren't supposed to go after other gods. And when they, when the Puritans were slaughtered by the Roman Catholic Church, I don't believe in Roman Catholicism, and America has embraced it. We've got all of their culture uh, celebrating Christmas and Easter, which are paganism. What gets me, Mardi Gras and Christmas are the exact same thing in the ancient world. They got the same number of days where they celebrate their God. They celebrate their God for a seven-day festival in Mardi Gras. They have a king of the Mardi Gras. They had a king of Christmas. And the priests of Bell wore tall white pointed hats and white sheets. White, call them white gowns. And they wore a tall white pointed hat. The clan in Christmas comes out of the same thing. And I don't know how to convince people this. I can't. You can't convince people that Mardi Gras and Christmas and the Klan come from the same source. It's crazy. What do you do? I did All I know to do is preach and tell people the truth about this. I've got a, I've got a paper here. It tells when all of these things came about in the Catholic Church. Prayers for the dead didn't come about until 300 A.D. Making the sign of the cross didn't come about till 300 A.D. The veneration of angels and dead saints, 375 A.D. Use of images in worship, 375 A.D. The Mass as a daily celebration wasn't until 394 A.D. Beginning of the exaltation of Mary, the term Mother of God, didn't start till 431 A.D. Extreme unction or last rites didn't start happening till 5, 526 A.D. Where you call in a Catholic priest, he says the last rites over somebody. The doctrine of purgatory didn't come into being until 593 years after Jesus was dead. All of their rituals are nothing but that. The things they adopted into that. Prayers to Mary and the dead saints, 600 A.D. The worship of the cross and images and relics, 786 A.D. Canonization of dead saints, to canonize somebody means to make them into a saint. But you had to have one miracle, one real verified miracle, and nobody had those. That was all just to con. That was in 995 A.D. Celibacy of the priesthood was in 1079 A.D. that the priest couldn't have a wife or couldn't have sexual relations with, her, with his wife.
The rosary started in 1090 A.D. Y'all can have a copy of this if you want. The indulgence is 1190. Indulgence is one of the craziest things I've ever heard of. That's where you could go on Monday and pay a priest for sin you were going to commit on the following Friday or Saturday. You could indulge yourself ahead of time by going and giving him money for sin. I'm going to sleep with this woman on Friday. If not, I'll do it Saturday. But here's money on Monday just so I can pay for it now. That, and that's why, that's one of the big things that Martin Luther just pulled away from the Catholic Church. That's how they built St. Peter's Basilica in Rome with indulgence money. You say, that all sounds crazy. It sounds crazy to me, too. I don't know how America can believe the things that they believe. I could go through all of this. I don't have time to. Mary being declared, called the mother of the church, didn't come about till 1965. It's just, it's all crazy. The Immaculate Conception of Mary was in 1854. That means that Mary was conceived by the Spirit without sin. Immaculate Conception doesn't have to do with Jesus. It has to do with Mary. How people can believe such hogwash, I don't know. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God calls us to continue your work. Open up doors for the ministry and we'll praise you for everything. Lord, I, I believe everything that's going on is your will. Thank you for truth. Fight our battles. And lead us to your elect in Christ's name. Amen.